0: What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible?
1: The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives
0: better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child, we really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Hey, guys. I'm here. We are working on season three of Miss Education, which makes me very excited. And I'm sitting across from Becca McNeil, who is a friend, a fellow SAISD parent, an education advocate, a journalist. I could go on and on,
1: but I'm going to let her introduce herself. I think you covered all the bases. <laughs> <laughs> um, hi, everybody. I'm here. I've been covering education in San Antonio for seven-ish years now. And um have recently become an SAISD parent, enrolled my five- and three-year-old in mm-hmm. the district. I'm kind of an advocate by nature, have to separate that a little bit from <laughs> my job, but really leaning into it as a parent. This will kind of be a blend of <laughs> a meeting of the worlds.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool when your passion and your talent and your interests and they all sort of – and your friends, they yeah. all kind of <laughs> collide. It's kind of convenient. So I I've been – trying to find people that I can sit down and talk to that I know are going to push a little on the ideas around education in San Antonio, but also who have a different perspective Um, I think it's really important. My friends that know me very well tease me because harmony is my number one strength when I took the strength finder test. Um, And then individualization is also in my top five. So I am all about like, hey, man, whatever you want to do, you be you. I'm cool with it. We can have an intelligent discussion over it. I'm not going to try to change your mind, but I want to hear what your perspective is, you know? Well, this Um, will be fun
1: because I'm a, (laughs) if you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram one. So I'm all about changing your mind.
0: They're getting you in fun. line. <laughs> so those are the people I, I most like to talk to because it's a, usually a really interesting conversation.
1: <laughs> Excellent.
0: Yep. So tell everybody a little bit about how you got started professionally writing for and about education.
1: So it's nothing magical. I was writing for the Rivard Report. They needed an education reporter. I was twenty-eight and. Did not have kids at the time and thought I would be covering bake sales. Essentially, <laughs> I thought I would be covering um, science fairs and yeah. stuff like that. And within a couple of months, realized that it's that is not the that's not <laughs> the situation. If the, if you're doing your job right, um, this is all of the problems of our society start in the schoolhouse. Actually, they probably start sooner than that, but yeah. they come to public come to the public in.
0: Yeah, they definitely filter through, right?
1: Yeah, that's when I think that's when things come out of hiding and suddenly they're on display and we start testing them and it becomes evident and then you go, uh oh, okay, we have some things to deal with.
0: Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about when you first got into it and you were were visiting schools or were you kind of like on assignment or what? How did it? My first assignment
1: was go find the bright spots. In Saisd, go into the schools and find stories that no one is telling, that are not gloom and doom. Go mm-hmm. figure out what's going right, which is a cool assignment. What did you find? What did you figure out? I found engaged parents. I found schools trying to get magnets going. I mm-hmm. found, I mean, my one of my first stories was Bonham and mm-hmm. the parents who were, you know, pushing really hard there um a science teacher who was doing great stuff. I th- think I visited a lot of the urban core schools mostly at that point. It didn't get much further afield. Mm-hmm. Um as my reporting has evolved as I've evolved, I think that I would probably go back and look a little differently at some of those yeah. stories. I have been looking at things a little differently and the district has evolved and I've had the chance to go further and further afield, get into South sand, get into South side a little bit, North side, Northeast. Mm -hmm. So um, it's grown, but I'm glad that it started with looking for the bright spots and that I was better trained to look for the solutions than to look for what's broken. If somebody's enacting a solution, it goes without saying that something's broken. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's more helpful for the public to say, "Here's something going on. Here's how you can get involved. Here are the limitations of it. Here's the good it mm-hmm. can do. Here's what it can't touch." And that's good storytelling. And I think that it's a more hopeful. It's not. It doesn't beat people down so much because yeah. yeah. there's a real beat down narrative. What was your
0: favorite story? Oh gosh, say? like one or at of the least whole, a, of my yeah, whole like career a, so far. Yeah, like a, yeah, or maybe just something you enjoyed. It's your go-to place where you
1: yeah I'll tell you the truth the my favorite story I've ever written is actually I don't even need to think that hard um (laughs) it was for The Current yeah (laughs) it was um so when Greg Jefferson went to The Current he called me and he said hey uh do you want to write for us and I said does your deal cover education he was like that's why I'm calling you because we're gonna start but the task was take an audience that doesn't necessarily look for education. for education, and stuff. so uh-huh. it was like, try anything, <laughs> <laughs> you know, throw some swear words in there, do what you have to do to get people <laughs> to like engage. <laughs> and the first big story I did for them was called San Antonio Schools Are Still Segregated. Mm. Um, by and then the subtitle is by Income as Much as by Race, and uh, that was by far my favorite story I've ever done, yeah, and really. Um, set a trajectory for my reporting for the 74 million, for the Heckinger Report, for a lot of other outlets.
0: Were you worried at all? Like when you wrote it and when you knew, I mean, they have a pretty big reach. So were you a little <laughs> bit of like, oh, shit, I'm going to say this. Yeah. Um,
1: yes, I, I have that moment a lot. There are some yeah. moments when... I say stuff and then go, I gotta stay off social media for a while because yeah. this is gonna get ugly. Um, it doesn't get it doesn't get as ugly as people I mean it does, but if you know how to read social media, yeah. you can yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. you can yeah. do it. But I will say that I get called out from both sides and that's that takes some learning mm-hmm. because there are people who say, you know, you didn't check your privilege here, you mm-hmm. are seeing this through a pretty white lens and then there's also people who will say are you calling me a bad person yeah (laughs) and the the answer to the first one is oh gosh i'm sorry let's try this again the answer to the second one is no i'm talking about the system that we're all playing into yeah so
0: it's hard it's hard working for a system any system and be still remaining an individual in that system right Right. So that's hard altogether. It's especially hard when you this is the only job you've ever had is working for this system, any system. Sure. Like for me, I felt like I really I mean, I started working when I was 22. I graduated from college and started working. I feel like so much of my own professional identity was shaped by the system I was working for. And how could it not be? Right. However, I never felt like a bad person doing any of the things that I was
1: saying. <laughs> right, right. You know what I
0: mean? Like never yeah. once. Now I think back and I think like a lot of the conversation that I hear is how long a system is has been failing and how I think about, gosh, I worked there the entire time that that system failed. Mm. And that's yeah, hard. that hurts. That hurts. Yeah.
1: At the same time, there's a ton of grace in there. There's grace that you go, okay. How do I do better now? Mm-hmm. What, where are people working to make this better, and how do I get behind them? Yeah, and that's great.
0: It is. Like, and it, and actually, let's it's look Getting
1: better. Uh I hope so. I hope so. It's I. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are days when I'm going like, yeah. Look, at, I look at my the school where my kids go. At some of the other schools in SAISD, I hear. Um, a lot of different parent groups who really encourage. I'm encouraged by the mm-hmm. conversations I'm hearing it, um some of the conversations at rooted operating more yeah. north side and northeast um, in the integrated schools movement that's encouraging but you also then look at data and you that's my job is to look right. at data and that's and daunting. you haven't
0: seen as much progress in terms of student outcomes as no one would know right and
1: well and for every district that takes integration seriously another district there's just one in louisiana the white parents pull out and form their own district and you go are we still doing this yeah yeah we are we're still doing this okay mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy right I,
0: uh, I, yeah <laughs> i come to certain points where i'm like oh where have i been mm-hmm sorry did That's not probably- experience I don't know. I loved school. I I grew up in San Antonio. And I went uh, in my early years through third grade, I was at a private, a small private school, which I loved. My third grade self thought it was amazing. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I had good friends. uh, And then we moved and we moved closer to be by family and we my parents just made a decision that I was old enough. My sister and I were old enough to go ahead and go into our neighborhood school. They wanted us to have neighborhood friends, which we didn't really have in a private school because everybody was coming from right, yeah. lots of different places. And I'm grateful that they decided to send us to our neighborhood school. We lit we went back to a neighborhood where both my grandparents' families lived, and so we we're a really tight-knit community. My grandmothers would pick us up from school very frequently. It was just a different kind of thing, and I was really happy. I always did really well in school. School was not hard for me. Yeah. Uh, my parents placed a high value on doing well in school. They're, they kind of set the tone for this is what success looks like. This is where you're going to go when you're done here. Here are some colleges that you should be interested in. It was not – it was never a hard – path for me to get from school into college and from college into a career. The hard things were like how do I choose? Yeah. You know, yeah. like how I don't know what I want to do. Embarrassment of riches. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't know what I I'm not sure. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> where I want to be or how how I want to do things or how far from home I really want to go. Like these were the things that were really tough right. for me. I don't think I really realized how much harder things are for other people. Yeah. Because I grew up in a community that was an inner city community and I went to public schools in in SAISD and I just didn't experience that. It wasn't until I was out of school and into college that I really recognized like everybody did not have this clear path.
1: Right. And I think that um there the value in that story is twofold. One is that people need to hear that that's happening in SAISD. I think there's a lot of stigma Um, I grew up in more of a North side environment hearing that the reason the inner city, quote unquote, inner city schools weren't good is because people didn't care. People didn't care about education. They didn't value it. It's bullshit. They do very much. They're Mm -hmm. taxing themselves heavily. They are walking kids to school. They are sacrificing greatly. And there's a huge emphasis on you are going to go to college. But we also have to look at the things that we have done as a society
0: that has made that that, that
1: hard yes we've we're throwing up barriers left and right and quite frankly the school system you had that because you had parents right who do that the the dependence on the parents to set the tone and to decide how far this kid is going to go is you are baking in inequity because nothing is more unequally distributed than parental resources Not good parents, not the good parents, not parents with good intentions, but the resources that you have to supplement your kids' education, to take them to go see colleges, to know what's out there, to know what a Pell Grant is, to know how to fill out a FAFSA, to know the different kinds of dual credit or AP and when to start Mm -hmm. enrolling and pushing your kids and asking questions to the counselor. So much of that is on parents. That to me is how you create this um, persistent class difference where yeah. the rich get richer because it's handed down outside the system. It's handed down at home.
0: Mm-hmm. I spent a week um, at in California at a professional conference. And we, one of our tasks was to pick a problem of practice and kind of pull on it until we could find some root causes for that problem. And so the problem we picked is that not a lot of students fill out the FAFSA. Not enough students fill out the FAFSA. There are too few, in particular, there are too few Hispanic, economically disadvantaged students who fill out a FAFSA. Um, A FAFSA is the, I don't know what it stands for, federal application for. For, It's a financial aid aid. application. Right. Student aid. There you go. Something like that. Thank you. So we started talking about what could all of the reasons for not filling out a FAFSA, be. And so, you know, first we said, well, a lot of students who choose not to, some students who choose not to fill out a FAFSA have already decided that they are not going to go to college. So the worthiness of the task, it's not high. It's
1: not. Let's start with just the FAFSA. Filling out the FAFSA is a.
0: Oh, it's complicated. It's such a pain. It's (laughs) It's complicated. And
1: and you need to know that there's (laughs) there's a point.
0: So, you know, we said, well, some students have already decided they're not going to do this. And so the worthiness of the task is just not there. Other students have a very, uh, it's hard, it's a hard form to fill out. Like it's inaccessible. It's legal jargon. It's you have to know your parents' tax returns. And then that uncovered another set of barriers, right? Yes. Your parents had to have... Tax returns. Tax returns. Yeah. Social security numbers. Exactly. all that fun. Yes. So then, you know, that and there's like, well, what happens if you are working in a cash-based society and you don't complete tax returns? Mm -hmm. And therefore, you're not going to be okay with saying, I live in a cash-based society and I don't file my taxes every year. That's a huge risk of exposure. What if your parents and are undocumented? That was the second risk of exposure, right? Like what if your parents are undocumented and you, you are here, you were born here, you are a citizen here. Mm-hmm. However, your parents don't have social security numbers. They do not com- file taxes. Then what are you to do? There's right. a fear there. And there's yes. a, even though there is an alternate path, there's a fear there that they are right. going to expose their family Mm -hmm. and they risk deportation, so they don't fill out the FAFSA. Um, There's also like a – there's still a peer status that has to get worked through, right? Like that they are then exposing to their peers that they don't have the same means that their peers do. So all these things that we're sitting and we're pulling at, and I'm like, this is complicated stuff. This is not people just don't care.
1: I I don't understand why we don't have – a day in school where you're assigned to go fill out the FAFSA with the counselor and if they get to the point and they say um I don't have access to my parents whatever they say oh okay here's the different form that you're going to fill out I don't understand why this is so hard
0: well I think part it depends on how big your school is like that might take an act it takes probably 15 to 20 minutes if you have everything the you need mm-hmm. it'll take you 15 20 minutes to actually get through the application, yeah. Per, per person, yeah. So if you have 1200 people, 1200 seniors, I mean, if you have a school. You Know you got 300. It's just, my son's graduating class is 77. Yeah,
1: that seems doable. doable.
0: <laughs> um, so we also were like, okay, what do we need to put in what systems do we need to put in place? Well, and, to make and if, sure. you're in a,
1: if you're in a high school with 1200 seniors, not everybody needs the help, right? There are some, you know, you said yeah. it. there's I, I'm a big believer that if it's a systemic problem, there is a fix. Some we can put fix. a man
0: On the effing moon. (laughs) Like we (laughs) can 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 figure this out.
1: We can figure out a lot of things, but it has to be prioritized. Mm -hmm. You don't just throw it on the counselor and be like, here's one more thing for you to do. You do it right.
0: Yes. Yes. So let's do it right. And part of it is just that people have the information, right? Like some of it is like, Why didn't I had no idea that only twenty three students did that. So and I also didn't know we didn't have a day set aside to help them do that. It's just a, ma- a matter of like, I didn't have the information I needed. Yeah. Well, it should get this done.
1: It, people still, there's not 100% people, 100% of students taking the SAT and ACT. We are not to the point yet where we are looking at every single student and saying, I need to make sure you're getting all this checked off because I want you to have the option to go to college. Yep. We're not yet doing that the way that I'm going to do that for my kids. And you're doing that for your kids. Right? It is still up to this, this home-based resource yep. to make that happen. Um, when really this is, this would be much better allocated to the system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, Parents can chip in the way that we chip in with everything. If you wanted to have a PTA night where all the college-educated parents came in and And sat down and walked everybody through the Mm -hmm. FAFSA, fine, do it like that. However you want to do it, that probably needs some thinking through. Um, (laughs) Strike that. Don't do that right away. But all I'm saying is that... There just needs to be a clear path. We, and there's lots we of need ways to, start, to clear paths. Yes, and we need to start with mm-hmm. every one of these kids has this checklist of things they need to do. So what do we need to do to make sure that every kid in Somerset ISD sure. is taking the SAT?
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are other push points. Like there were are people who would say, not every kid has to go to college to begin with. Not They don't, but they you know? all need to have but they the have option. To have, exactly. That's You
1: took the words Sorry. out of my mouth. <laughs> it's okay. Well, and as I've I have said, and I have heard others say in this city, so your kids are your kids among those who don't have to go. Mm-hmm. Are your kids the ones who you want to nix that for them? Their junior year of high school, you want to go ahead and decide mm-hmm. when you're 16 years old that this isn't for you. No, not your kids, not my kids. Those kids.
0: I don't know. I my I don't I I, I am a firm believer of like I don't know. I don't know how I don't know how I feel about about like my own kids if they came to me and said I don't want to go to college they better have a damn good reason and then I will consider You know, then I will consider. My kids are probably going to
1: do that to me. I can already tell.
0: I'm I'm like, I can't put too much out in the universe because it'll come back to bite me. Yeah. (laughs) If I I say, like, no, my kids have to go to college, one of them will come and tell me, I'm not going to college. I
1: fully anticipate one of mine being an artist (laughs) and living in my basement. I'm sure that's going to happen. But they will fill out the FAFSA. They will take the SAT. Yes. Because they're just, we're just going to check that box while we. Yeah.
0: And part of the work that you're doing is uncovering. Just those scenarios, right? Like exactly. And so, what? I mean, this seems like an obvious question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because you just never know what you never know what I'm going to say. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, from your perspective, what do what happens when people have new information or information that's like really different from all of the information that they thought was all of the information?
1: Yeah, people do one of two things: they either adjust their behavior or they don't. So they either say, oh, I'm taking this into account now and I need to figure out a solution. You know, this is a problem. I am convinced this is a problem. I need to figure out a solution. Or they say, that's fake news or you're biased or, you know, very rarely do people say I, okay, they do say this, but very, it's much more rare to have somebody say, I acknowledge that this is true. I just don't care. It's pretty rare. Yeah, that. Most people say I don't either. I think you're wrong or okay, you're right. What am I willing to do in response? Mm-hmm. Now that thing they're willing to do in response may be minuscule. Yeah. It may be I'm willing to be nice to my black friends. Right. <laughs> you know, like they could be that menial. But sometimes it's big. Sometimes you'll have people change where they have their kids Mm -hmm. in school. Sometimes you'll have people back down from taking control of the PTA to make room for others. Sometimes you will have people, um, not protest against a multifamily development being built in their school zone. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people change their actions when they see, um, the reality behind the inequities that we're facing.
0: Yeah. So, I guess my my next question would be like have you seen those scenarios play out recently in any way that you're willing to talk about? Sure, sure. I mean, you don't have to get specific, but I just no, I, I, like I, I can imagine that a lot of what you write or a lot of what mm-hmm. happens around these kinds of conversations like school segregation or just in how inequity shows up in different places across the city. That those are really I would imagine pretty emotionally charged.
1: Yes. At times. Talking about kids, if you're talking about kids, emotions start high and stay high. Nobody comes into this without vested interest. It's very tricky. Um, I will say that San Antonio ISD creating their integrated, diverse by design schools mm-hmm. and pushing toward, and they're not there yet. Um, and they need a constant accountability to do this, but also putting more resources into neighborhood schools. You know, mm-hmm. their priority around equity and inclusion and access and integration is a, is an encouraging thing. It's drawing a lot of heat. They're not making a lot of friends while they do it, um, and that, I think... Some of that will be spurred by how they do it. Mm-hmm. Some of that's a personality thing. Some sure. of that's a, hey, we could have rolled that out better. Or some people are going to be opposed to things just on their face. And some of that is a don't rock the boat. There's a there's an undercurrent of don't rock the boat, don't call us out on the fact that some of the school districts um, thrive because parents want to be in a wealthier wider environment Mm -hmm. and their test scores are going to go up and that's good for the district you if you're benefiting from the system you have a really low incentive to fix it yeah yeah so where i've seen that i've i watched alamo heights Mm -hmm. pitch a fit because they were going to get multifamily development inside their school Mm -hmm. district Mm -hmm. um i haven't been to many redistricting meetings in Northside and northeast i hear they're Heated. I, I hear they are heated when you're wanting to change the boundaries of who gets to go to an elementary school. I'm watching one in Clarksville, Tennessee right now really? for a national story.
0: How are you watching it? Um, like just, media, just Media and friends uh-huh. who live there.
1: Um, about they're building a new school and whose kids are they going to take and what's that going to leave and who's going to go where. Mm-hmm. The second you start shifting schools, the everybody's – you know that Avenue Q song, everybody's a little bit racist <laughs> sometimes? Well, it becomes like – you lead with it. Mm -hmm. People throw off the kind of polite society because they feel like there's risk. Yeah, and I feel like
0: some of, some of what, some of that is like, I don't think it's recognizable in some ways. Like, Sure. people don't even recognize that
1: Oh, you mean to yourself? Yeah, to
0: yourself. Oh, yeah. Like you're no, I was like, like some I of don't it is know. Not, Once you see it, you kind of it. No, no, can't no. Like, I think yes. people it's unrecognizable. Like yes. they think, no, we're preserving a good thing that's yep. worth preserving. And it and it's hard. it's hard for them to take a step back and say, like, well, wh- by preserving this, what are we also preserving? Preserving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that's challenging.
1: It's super and let me tell you what's even more challenging is that People, uh, here's what I hear more than anything else is, well, I'm not going to sacrifice my kid's future on A, an experiment, B, social justice cause, you know, that's all fine and well, but I'm not going to sacrifice my kid's yeah. future. I was thinking yeah. about that today because I just thought, well, that just locks it in place because you don't get yeah. to make that choice as a kid. Right. And so you, the, who are you making it for for your kids and we have to start, and I say this as a challenge to myself, we have to start looking at our kids not only as these beings who we love and we want to do the best for and whether, whatever the source of that, whether it's biology or just humanity, mm-hmm. you love them and you want to do its best for them. At the same time, they are receptacles of privilege. These are the kids who carry it to the next generation and who create generational wealth, who create generational privilege. This is how it moves Mm -hmm. forward. That's the vehicle. It's our children. They're who get our money. They're who get our... They get to live in a neighborhood that they can't afford, quite frankly, because they have no money. Um, They... We have to be honest about our children as they're like little privilege shelters. Like we have tax (laughs) shelters. They're like little privilege shelters. And until you're willing to say... Actually, what I want for my kid is to grow up in a just society. Actually, what I want for my kid is to grow up um, to be a more compassionate and justice-driven person. Until we place an equal value on that, we're not going anywhere. And we're never going to dispel the myth that you can enroll them at, quote-unquote, inner city school. And actually, if they're coming home to a mom and dad who love them and care about them, they're going to be fine. They're going to be
0: fine. They're going to be better than fine in most cases. Yeah.
1: Like And that people will say, well, oh, but the good colleges recruit at Johnson and Reagan. And I'm like, I can drive my kid to UT. We're mm-hmm. going to be fine. Yeah, you're right. And I also think that they are going to um, recruit <laughs> at SAISD by the time it's all done. I agree. So
0: what's the most shocking thing that you've learned or uncovered in these last seven years about San Antonio's education system?
1: I was at Follow Media, which was a very short-lived but wonderful um media project that we did a project about Edgewood ISD mm-hmm. and learned how the basically how the districts came to be and about the when in 1949 when they started calling each other and doing the math on okay how much wealth do you have how many students do you have how are we going to make this work and how how everybody sorted um, this starts with Christine Drennan, yeah, you know, doctor. blows blows mm-hmm. your mind. um and then you go dig deeper and I um with a historian who was working with Follow, essentially, we dug into the story of Edgewood and it is shameful. It's shameful the way people talked about it, the way that the students knew what was happening to them, they knew what they were being denied um and we found ways to just so just iron what it in place. What year was this? It stretched from so the the school district consolidation happened after the Gilmer Aiken Act in the in 1949, okay. uh-huh. and then it stretched on through the 50s. In the 50s, we have Brown v. Board. Mm-hmm. Technically, we're supposed to desegregate. There's all sorts of hoops that white People. folks jumped through to make sure that Hispanic kids could. That didn't have to apply, right? They counted them as white when they needed to. They counted them as not white when they, in their hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have so then you have all the trickery around Brown v. Board, and then you move into the '60s and the '70s, the walkouts, the Civil Rights mm-hmm. Commission, and we haven't really nice, touched this it is since like then. In
0: our generation, oh yeah, you know what I mean. No. Like
1: this, this is not like. This is an ancient history. No,
0: this is in our generation, in our city,
1: and we're doubling down on it every day. Mm-hmm. That's the real kicker. It's not like we're going, oh man, this has been really hard to undo. But we're all working together and to making. No, we're doubling down on this every day.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're... Because we still have seventeen separate school districts. We have because anytime you bring up consolidation, people get really upset.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's not the only thing. I mean, those borders. So Jane Jacobs, famous city planner, said, whenever you put like a railroad or a hard Mm -hmm. border through a neighborhood, you stop the foot traffic. And foot traffic is what carries like the lifeblood of a city. It's where people spend money. So Mm -hmm. the closer you are to a hard border, the more things shrivel up and die. Money can't cross borders. Money can't cross the school district borders. Um, Right. We couldn't desegregate. We can't desegregate across school borders everything that we want to do stops at the border of the school district and we have got our neighborhood segregation is so deep that our neighborhoods are all well ensconced within the borders of a school district this
0: is another thing i think people have a hard time recognizing what like if you are living in i don't know anywhere north of 1604 or oh god or if you're living close north- to 1604 yeah. yeah i don't think you recognize it districts are particularly... I don't think that's on your radar that our city is so segregated. I will tell you, I grew up in... I mean, I'm over generalizing, so please... I'm, no, you're not. No, you're not. But I, I, I feel <laughs> like that's my thought, is that I don't... I don't think that's on every... I think that's a hard thing to recognize.
1: Absolutely. So if you... I grew up, again, pretty pretty well north. Um, I had never been... To, to the deep West side until I started reporting never um, there are still parts of the South side yeah. after after concerted effort yeah. <laughs> that I haven't really been to. Um, likewise if you had me and Saldania in here, Ray Saldanya yeah. in here who we are roughly the same age if you talked about us growing up, if we talked about our experiences and sure. how long it took to like see the same thing, see right. the same bookstore to see the same, Stuff we we were practically adults, you know. (laughs) And you're talking about two people who grew up here, right? But on far opposite sides of town, who went to similar colleges, who have had very similar lives since then, but growing up didn't even move in the same world, right?
0: Right. And And what my world and you weren't thinking about the other world. That's what I'm saying. Like you Absolutely not. We no, didn't know it you existed. You were not thinking about what's happening at the corner of Guadalupe and Brazos. Like you weren't no. thinking about that. It's no. not recognizable if you're not directly going and seeing
1: it or you aren't impacted by it or you're not you just it's not on your radar. And let me tell you a sad thing that happens is that when a kid like me does encounter that on some, you know, Mission, inner sure. city mission trip, or whatever totally. that thing is that 100%. we're doing. You know, when we come when down to feed people or something. G, oh, do classes yeah.
0: with or something. Yeah, yeah. I know, oh I know exactly what you're yes.
1: saying. <laughs> um, well, when we do that, we see this, and our young people's hearts are are touched by that. And when they see that, and their their sense of injustice, which is so much more acute when they're young, they see that, and they go, "Wait a minute, no." And they start to feel something and then we the adults swoop in and give them an alternate narrative we give them a narrative that says they don't they don't care enough. yeah their families their families just don't value that they value um staying close to home right um they va- and so you have in order like i always describe it as the tip of the spear you know hits them in the heart and instead of leaning in and letting it really get them, we pull them back. And we do that to ourselves. Every time you you feel that spear, you lean away. And we got to stop doing that. We've got to start exposing yeah. and then leaning in harder on that spear because – not because we need white tears, not because feeling bad is going to fix it, but because we've got to stop those alternate narratives. We need a better narrative. And that's my job. Yeah. Is to say, here's the spear – you're going to lean on it because only by leaning on it are you going to feel the fullness of this narrative. You've got to feel the pain mm-hmm. and the struggle and the, in order to see how the aspirations and the dreams and the the yes. fullness of what's here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, totally. And I, I feel too like sometimes I've – and this has maybe been my own – a little push up for myself has been – to not feel like the main objective would be to leave where you start, to go mm. away from, you know, to break the mold or get out. I actually feel like it's not so much because I have lots of friends who, who lived where I live who don't live where I live anymore mm-hmm. because they have garnered more wealth than they started with and their choice is to not live where we live. They've moved farther and farther and farther north Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't say that it's always on their daily agenda to think about what's happening inside of our little city's nucleus so I think too that that also is a narrative that we could push on right that absolutely I
1: don't know well and I feel like there's a there's two there's two communities need that need to have a conversation and I I'm not here to tell people who grew up um, with very little, what they need to do. Sure. They need, um, that is a conversation that they need to have among their family, among the people they grew up with, mm-hmm. among the people they feel loyalty to. Um, and I think who I can speak to is the community that grew up already
0: yeah, out and there, already
1: isolated and, and pushed mm-hmm. out. I, I say isolated. It's not really isolated. I, I know. grew up segregated. Sure. I'll say that. Um, the community, I need to speak to my community and say, you have what you have because of a really unjust system. And yes, you worked hard, but you worked hard in a system that treated you fair on the whole. Mm-hmm. And again, everybody, yeah. you're going to get a billion comments on this. Being, being like, <laughs> I was totally screwed and I you know, didn't. I grew up poor. I'm not here to define white privilege for you i'm here to say that i and people like me grew up as the beneficiaries of an unjust system and we need it is on us to stop reinforcing it yeah we we're not the saviors we're not the ones who are going to fix it but we can certainly stop breaking it and every time somebody figures out a fix we need to stop pulling the rug out from under them
0: yeah which actually is a perfect segue to what I thought this season would kind of debunk, right? So miseducation is really about challenging some preconceived notions that people generally have about the work that educators do, especially here in San Antonio. And one of them I feel like is that school is actually somebody else's problem. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If you are not a teacher or an administrator or uh then it's really not your problem and it's not something that you have to solve for. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly everybody has their own mission and their own calling in life and everybody can't be teachers.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: But I do think that it is a, well, I'm going to, I know what I think. Yeah. What do you
1: think? What do I think? (laughs) Um, I think that all of our social institutions belong to us. And so, just like it is my job to call the police. If I see something, it is my job to, um, write to my congressman. It is my job to vote. It is my job to seek the best for the education system. Um, I, I think that as a parent and I, and earlier I did say, you know, we got to stop putting so much on parents. I'm, think there's a way to engage parents in a way that says this belongs to all of us Mm -hmm. not get in here and fight for your individual kid to get what they need if we do a better job Mm -hmm. of equity then we can say okay parents here is here's where you get to come on board and support and so i think i do think there's a role for the parents but as far as a society before you have kids after you have kids like after Mm they're long gone um it still belongs to you because this is how we're building society this is our social fabric and so it's absolutely it absolutely belongs to you. And so you are you have ownership of the harm that it's doing and you have ownership of the good that it's doing. Yeah. So you should care. Absolutely. Wherever
0: you are, whether you are a parent mm-hmm. or not. Right. It's it it's actually all of our problem. It's, and it's it's a burden we all should feel for like I really do think that not enough people talk about what to your point is going really well and what are the bright spots we tend to focus on the parts that are broken Mm -hmm. Um, but the focus on the parts that are broken aren't often coupled with the solutions that might work
1: exactly (laughs) there's and i will say i I just got back from a from a conference the solutions journalism network there are people who are working on this like how do we tell better stories that inspire hope yeah because if we get into fatalism and i will say too that what has led to all of this the schools are broken the schools Mm -hmm. are broken it leads parents to say well then my job is just to find the what's best what's best for my kid and i Again, I'm not going to begrudge any parent, of course, who chooses any different school. We're in a choice school. It's a district choice school. Um, however, I do think that wherever your kid is is almost beside the it's almost beside the point. You're all of these schools. All of these kids are yours. We belong to each other. I believe that. So we need to do what's best for the mm-hmm. whole system. And there's a good case to be made for well, putting your kid in it is the best thing. And you got to figure out where you sit with that. And there's a case to be made for um, moving into a more integrated neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, and changing the distribution of property wealth. And mm-hmm. how do we do that? Oh, we got to think about gentrification. It's all complicated. It's so there's complicated. no easy fixes, and nobody's going to feel good and great about everything that they do. But it's so much better to wrestle with that than just to go, forget it, hands up, I'm just going to go be in my enclave, do what's best for me and put my head down and ignore it because not everybody can do that.
0: Yep. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Thank you. Um, Thanks for coming on to the podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I enjoy talking to you. I always feel, I, I say this a lot of a lot of the guests that come on the podcast, I feel smarter having finished a conversation with <laughs> the people that I get to talk to and you are definitely in that same group. So well, I appreciate you. it. Um, do you have any questions for me? Cause I know, I know I always forget to ask like, what do you want to know? Is there anything before we say goodbye that you're oh, thinking
1: through? Um, I I'm always curious about people's point of view who've been in the system in mm-hmm. the, You know, the places where you have been a school leader, how you see the inequities play out, how you see it all. What was your perspective?
0: I mean, I think, you know, some of it is stuff that I'm still unearthing in me, right? Like I said, I didn't have that hard of a job in school. You know, it wasn't, school was not a hard job for me. So I don't know that I, there have been moments in my life that I can look back on and say that felt so shitty and unfair and that never should have happened to me. Like that teacher telling me that if I – I did go to a choice school um, for high school and I had a teacher who said to me that if I couldn't – if my parent couldn't drive me to school for tutoring, I rode the bus. And she said it was not her problem. That that was not her problem. I was going to have to figure something out. And at the time when you're 15, you're like, well – Shoot, okay. man! I gotta go find some another way to. I gotta find a friend or find one of my family members that can help me through yeah. this course. But looking back, I think like what a, that that just was not okay. Not a good answer. Not a good answer. Not okay. Um, so there have been moments where I can look back and think that was that was just not fair, that didn't, it shouldn't have happened that way. Mm-hmm. Um, or I can, I can look back and think through times when I have seen my friends, good friends who have just really struggled. And then, and, and then I think through some of the student stories that I've carried, right? Like where I have had a student who I still communicate with whose family just did not, I mean, I, there's not a nice way to say this, so I'm just going to tell you, they didn't want her. Yeah. That's just, that's just the, the that's the reality. Yeah. I note, those
1: kids exist in every socioeconomic group.
0: And so everything was that much harder because to get a permission slip signed mm-hmm. was hard. Like, Yeah. And contingent on all kinds of made up stuff. Well, you, if this, if, if you want to go here, you have to do X, Y, and Z. And then it would change. And then it was just a hard, everything about school was complicated because her, her parent just did not feel like dealing with it. You know, mm-hmm. like those things where I think that's not – man, that was a hard – that is just hard for anybody, anywhere. Yeah. And then in my life as a teacher – you know look i mean in my life as a school administrator being held to accountability systems that i did not feel like i had the i really had my hand on a lever that would be impactful i didn't yeah. feel that you know i always felt like sure if every kid came to school fed yeah. and well slept <laughs> yeah 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 i could impact student outcomes mm-hmm. at a faster
1: rate if we were all starting if, from the starting line right like <laughs> if
0: everybody in my in my building, came to school, just two things, fed and well-slept. Yeah, that Those two factors alone would have made huge impact, right? Mm-hmm. I can influence at best. I have no control over whether or not somebody gets a good night's rest or comes to – or eats. So these are things I still have to unearth for me, yeah. like how inequities showed up in my school. I think it was not fair to hold – Teachers and administrators accountable for things they don't really, they only can influence at best. Yeah. Uh, I I think our accountability system is just massively inequitable. I think the way schools are funded are massive. It's getting better, but it's not. Baby steps. It baby steps it's not anywhere close to being equitable it's well, and- it's not having the right support systems in the right communities it's it's not having access to the support systems. it's me you know feeling like how can I get a social worker that is going to literally cost me ninety thousand dollars and I have a discretionary budget of eleven thousand yeah. like, how am i gonna how, how are these things going to
1: well and you were in a school that was ninety-nine point five percent on free and reduced lunch, how different would it have been if that was fifty percent? Right. How different would that have been if it was thirty mm-hmm. percent? I mean, when you're talking about thing the the way inequity shows up, you gotta start there with, yeah, more supports in the community would sure, be great. But what <laughs> <I would need laughs> if we need
0: four were... times the support?
1: Yeah. You know what I mean? Like concentrated mm-hmm. poverty is something we all did on purpose. And you saw it in 800 kids. Mm-hmm. And there are elementary schools in this city that have one and 2%. They don't have kids. You know, if their they, kid shows up hungry, if a kid shows up hungry, the teacher. It's
0: manageable.
1: Yes, can feed it's them.
0: Right. It's a manageable. It's still terrible. Sure. And,
1: yes. And it's still
0: hard. <laughs> but it's way more manageable
1: the problem at that point hasn't overshadowed the resources right. that we have to meet it
0: yeah so mm-hmm. that was a long answer to uh, the question i'm but glad to hear it <laughs> that's that's where awesome I, yes so thank you thank you thank you all right <laughs> we'll see you soon all right i'm jen maestas and you're listening to miseducation